There's a show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Hello and welcome to the Pod of Blunders. I'm Nate Magnuski and with me as always is my co-host Richard Sullivan. And with me as not always is our guest, Mike Myler. Mike, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's a really wonderful day here in Pittsburgh and I got to go outside and uh, it was nice. Great. So the reason we got you on here is to talk about Legendary Adventures, your epic 5e content. <laughs> now tell me, please, tell me about Legendary Adventures. Yeah, uh, so um, years and years ago, I made a book called Hypercore 2099, which was sort of like, uh, I got tired of how, how bad Shadowrun turns out after a couple of games. So I, I, I kit-bashed Pathfinder to work as like a Shadowrun-type game, and you throw on this template, sort of like Mythic Adventures. For anybody who did not play Pathfinder, they, they released Epic Rules under this thing called Mythic Adventures, and it was just like a rules template you put onto the regular Pathfinder rule set. It's really ingenious, because then you could have like mythical first-level characters, right, or, or 20th level, just go the whole scale. However, I found them to be boring. Like, you just, you just become invincible with Mythic Adventures, and I, all the drama was gone. So uh, we, we took that like basic design concept and we flipped it around to be like much more uh, dramatic with the numbers. And it worked. Hypercore 29 is great in Pathfinder. We got to a Kickstarter goal where we converted to 5e. Did not work quite as well because uh, A, I just didn't understand 5e as well as I did, you know, now five years ago. And B, the basic like concept of like, oh, just toss, toss template onto the rules doesn't work because of the way uh, number boundaries work in 5e, right? Like there's a ceiling. And once you get past that ceiling, everything goes crazy, bonkers, uh, in a bad way. I felt really bad about not getting Epic Rules right. And then about a year ago, I started working on Epic. I started working on it much more uh, ardently about a year ago. And I used the pandemic as an opportunity to play test it with a bunch of people. I refined them up into this 21st to 30th level. So it's like a regular D&D 5e, right? But like once you hit 20th level, boom, 21st. Not like a template you throw on it, but like a regular progression. And then the way it's like, my basic concept was like, I didn't, a lot of 5e works really, really well. So my idea was just like, let's focus on those things that work really, really well and carry them on into 30th level. So you pick up like an additional archetype uh, whenever you start going to epic levels. And then through epic feats, you can pick up like a third archetype. So like your rogue becomes more roguey because now they're not just an assassin. They're also an arcane trickster. Maybe they're also a thief. And yeah, it played out beautifully in playtests. And then I got a whole bunch of spiffy ass artwork uh, that I had been sitting on for quite a while. I didn't know what to do with it. And it's all very epic feeling. Those two, two circumstances came together really well. And now I have this gorgeous book. It is easily like the prettiest thing I've ever made. And that's coming to Kickstarter like really soon, right? Isn't it the 23rd? Month? Yes, 23rd. Epic level content. You know, like, like you said, 5e deals with bounded accuracy where the numbers just break down after a certain point. Mm -hmm. How did you design around that? Well, uh, I included a whole bunch of high CR monsters. A lot of the book is, I think, up to page 36 is character stuff. And then the other almost 100 pages are just uh, monsters, 50 monsters. So like Baba Yaga, Dagon, the two big worms, Jormungandr and Nidhogr from mm -hmm. Norse mythology, Merlin, Morgan Le Fay. My favorite actually thing in there is a future assassin. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just like there's a planner assassin if somebody wants to hire somebody from like Sigil or whoever to, you know, to come and kill you. But uh, I like the future assassin a lot more. But um, yeah, I, I made a lot of supporting content for it. And then in addition to like all the monsters, an another really important part of combat is like tactical hazards. Like, so have lava around. You're the official 
visually clear rules for lava that you don't have to go search through three books to find. And uh, I added like a bunch of planner diseases and yeah, like wild magic zones, anti-magic clouds, uh, stuff to like put onto the map that will also still feel like, oh yeah, I remember when we fought that killer orc horde that had the crazy flesh-eating swarm at 11th level. This is, this is kind of like that. So yeah, yeah, it's not just here a bunch of monsters. There's a lot of supporting content to get to get get full proper battles out of epic level play instead of just here's team out you're fighting a god get at it. There's also here's the lava that's gonna be flying at you and oh no wild magic happened and you should not have screwed that fey now you have a disease. Good luck with that. I was surprised when I saw that when I opened the book because I figured it was just gonna be you know tables upon tables of character stuff. And what's there is excellent for that. But I was really happy to see that you said, okay, if you're a DM here, there's actually more than half the book is for you to figure out how to herd these cats. Because regular D&D, once it hits 20th level, is hard enough as it is to, to wrangle everything and make sure everything's balanced. But you provide the tools. Everything's right there for, for whoever wants to run these games. And you have the book with you right now, right? You, are, you have it already done before the Kickstarter. I, yeah, yeah, the print proof, yeah. And it's light. That was the other thing I wanted to do. Because like I, when I was developing it, I went through and I made epic archetype features for every single archetype in the book, right? So like, here's your shadow monk epic features, and here's your evoker wizard epic features. And uh, by the time I was done, that would have been like 30,000 words worth of material, which would translate into another book of the same size. I cut it all, and it'll, it'll still, be, still be available on the website, epic5e.com. Mm. But um, it didn't make it into the book because I didn't want a big cumbersome thing because you're already dealing with 23rd level, oh, I cast Wish twice a day, screw you, bullcrap. <laughs> so like just having like a nice, light, fast toolbox that you can grab and, and quickly page through. I was very happy to have tools on hand for the, the playtest like that. It, uh, it would have been tough if, if I had been pushing through like a 200 300 page book trying to find everything and the other part was uh i know there's a lot of epic rules out there already so by keeping it light that also makes it affordable if like you have epic rules that you enjoy already then cool pick up this book to have 50 more epic monsters in your your toolbox and then attack your players with satan everybody should have that as their end goal anyway so you know (laughs) so we had a past guest named skeeter green and he said that at high level play in DD. It's not enough to challenge the, the characters anymore. You have to challenge the players because the characters are so capable already. What are your thoughts on that? I like, uh, I know Skeeter. He's Frog God Games, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. I wrote something for them a long time ago on keeping uh, players engaged. One of the things that uh, the book does in like uh, 21st level is you get a lot of these like social features. Mm-hmm. So uh, I call them prestige. So prestige starts out 21st, everybody knows who you are. 25th level, gods know who you are. And then 30th level, gods will make time for you if you like demand it. Uh, So for instance, the um, monk, which I call adept in the book, you just get like a band of student slash vigilantes who hang out in your hometown and and basically do what you tell them to, like keep the law, act as like an unofficial police force, that kind of thing. Clerics get like huge followings. Fighters, oh, fighters know all the mercenaries and get like, invited in by other soldiers and stuff and just treated like just you know war heroes by everybody wizards are like arcane libraries give you their most like secretive stuff to look at and they all like vie for you to give lectures at colleges and stuff like that so there's like uh, right from the outset there's you know trying to get players invested into the world through class features which worked very effectively uh with my with my groups and part of the advice for the game master in there too is like 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 in a Superman comic, right? Like it's rarely a threat to Superman. Usually it's Lois Lane or Jimmy Olsen or, you know, 
a bus full of children that are like the real victims, people who will be harmed by by stuff. Yeah, in the Superman book. So in the same way with epic level play, like you shouldn't always be targeting the players. You should be like targeting their parents and their friends and their allies and stuff because they're pretty much invincible. And as soon as you attack them, they will respond with force and track you down with epic level magic. You got you got to take swipes at them from the side. I had a thought about comparing it to a Superman comic, but that's a really clever idea. And it makes total sense because you're right. They're invincible. They're gods on Earth, but their loved ones aren't. Almost gods. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it up to the GM if they actually become gods by 30th level or not. I, I left it uh, vague. Could just be demigods or you know, super badasses. Like, uh... well, did Elminster ever actually get to godhood? I don't think so. I think it was just yeah. in the background. And, like, he, he could hang with them, but he Bone couldn't. Bone and do... Mistra and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, as you do. So, your monk, you call it the adept. And I know there was a couple other changes in, term- in the terminology for some of the classes. Yes. Uh, so, I am also the project manager and editor and one of the lead designers for uh, Level Up Advanced Fifth Edition, which is coming out from Yen World later this year. It's awesome. There are playtests for it. LevelUp5e.com. Check it out. One of the things we're doing in there, and there's a lot of stuff we're doing. But one of the things we're doing there that I, I, I wanted to transfer over here was where um, the monk is no longer like Eastern mysticism punchy person. Now it's the adept, which is uh, much more agnostic in, in terms of like where its cultural origins are from. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the barbarian, which is, you know, a derogatory term uh, sometimes you hear in America, for instance, uh, one of my favorite videos from last year was some some freaking carrot in a convenience store calling a uh, native american barbarian tell them like to go back to their own country and she's like I, i'm in my own country and like she uh. took a swing at her and she's got nailed oh, it was, it was, oh is this <laughs> the lady with like the black and white striped dress i think yes yeah yes. i watched that, yes. a, that a thousand times on uh, public right. freakouts on reddit yeah so we don't use the term barbarian in the book we use berserker which i, I pulled over here and then paladin changes to herald which also includes a change in like the role right so heralds are bestowed, they're, they're kind of like drafted, maybe forcibly, into the service of a god. And, and in the playtest, the herald, my herald playtester, was like very, very tired with his god by the end of the game. And he was, he was like starting to like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find, I'm going to start an uprising against you. Like, what are you going to do about it, man? I like the change with the basic approach for the class, for the herald. Uh, but yeah, the adept is still like very punchy, you know, still uses a, a, a point reservoir. But instead of being called key, uh, it's called focus. Uh, just naming them something different. And there are like reminders in the bookmarks and stuff. So people don't get like lost when looking at it. But uh, every page or every class gets a two page spread. So it's pretty easy to like figure out what you're looking at. Like, oh, there's all the unarmed people. That's the adept class. That guy looks very angry and has no armor. Oh, yeah, it's Berserker. It's a good change. That's a really good change. I'm glad you did that. It was, uh, there are a lot of changes in there. Like, I, I'm not here to talk about level up. Everyone should check yeah, them out. It's, it's great. Yeah. Playtests are free and you'll see a lot of things you really like. I promise. So let's get back to Legendary. If you had to pick one of your class features that you designed, what's your favorite class feature? Oh, the Druid, one with nature. Yes. Oh, all right. Yes. Just that fast. The Druid, okay. one with nature. Yes. Uh, so uh, the Druids get to um, wild shape, like in, in become, they become the terrain. Mm. So you just like, do you ever read Giant Size X-Men number one with the island Krakatoa? Yeah. Yep like that but smaller and it's awesome it's awesome in like combat in in like uh exploration in like investigation stuff they used it in all all the pillars except for social and um it was everybody loved it Uh, it was one of the things that got tweaked the most most in the playtest too because my original version for it was just like way too powerful and, and way too 
uh, it removed too much agency. So it changed a lot from the initial version to the final version. Yeah, that one by far, hands down, absolute favorite in the whole book. Should we talk about Ranger? Uh, sure. So I gave them an extra companion. So like if you're a Beastmaster, it would be a second companion that you get. But um, yeah, yeah, you get you get a bigger, badder companion. Uh, the playtester was using uh, a Wyvern for most of it. Which he uses a mount, obviously. And then they get some other stuff, too. Like, they, they don't get quite one with nature. They get, like, um, I think, like, Aragorn, where he's just like, oh, yeah, someone was here three days ago, and they were wearing soft leather boots that smelled of of, of cow piss. And uh, so, yeah, like, rangers get a, a very localized, basically just, like, look back in time for the past three or four days when you evaluate an area. Yeah, and then they get, a, like, a hunting mastery weapon. So you choose to be, like, really good like the old fighting styles from 3.0. Like, I'm an archer, longbow's my weapon, or, you know, scimitars, and then your uh, crit range goes up, and uh, you get bonuses against favorite enemies with it, too. They get more rangery, for certain. That's good. <laughs> they get <laughs> more rangery. I feel like if you played through 20 levels of ranger, you deserve something nice. <laughs> they also get another two levels of attacks by the time you hit 30th. And, oh, also spell levels, too, because rangers get spellcasting to 7th level. You've designed for a lot of different systems. You've designed for, like you said, Shadowrun. You've designed Shadow of the Demon Lord stuff, Pathfinder stuff. What's your favorite system to design for? That's an interesting question. I think it would depend on what I'm designing because like Pathfinder had sublime monster creation rules. They were so incredibly tight. And that's because Pathfinder leans heavily into simulation. So when you're trying to fabricate a specific situation or circumstance, it's much easier to do with Pathfinder. Because the numbers, it's, so, it's, it's so granular. You could be like, okay, I know I can get the party down to half their resources by this point in this dungeon because X, X, Y, Z, X. I like class design a lot in 5e. There's a lot of space in 5e for class design uh, because so much of the system is oblique. I hated making ancestries for Shadow of the Demon Lord because it required making a whole bunch of rollable tables. And while rollable tables are wonderful when you're buying them or reading them, I hate, 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 hate making rollable tables. Uh, and I had to make 120 of them for that one book. Yeah, that was, was, was not in a good mood by the time I was done with that. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, it would, it would really depend. Adventures, adventures, like I said, it's easier to do uh, like more precise control of what you're doing with uh, like Pathfinder because all the, the everything's so incredibly tightly calculated. And 5e, it's, it's just harder to reliably manufacture the same experience for different people, like when you write a published. Uh, but like for my home games, oh yeah, man, I don't know. Because like Pathfinder has so many resources. So I, I, probably going to be Pathfinder 5e no matter what I end up saying. I've, I've done some some Powered by the Apocalypse stuff and it's very different paradigm that I'm, I'm still just not quite super familiar with. And then indies, I mean like an indie RPG can be anything, be very crazy weird. Like I've worked on a couple and they're, they're, they're all quite different. I, I really enjoyed making the vehicle rules for now, uh, which is part of the What's Old is New RPG. Uh, it's the same same rules that the current Judge Dredd RPG uses. That was pretty cool. I had to go find a copy of Car Wars, and this is before they did their reboot. So like, I had to go to my game store, and he had to go like get it from some guy in Ohio, and it was a whole rigmarole. But um, yeah, that was that was really cool because uh, like it was just it was it because it, 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 it wasn't quite like making a war game and it wasn't quite like making like a regular miniatures game or a regular tabletop game it's sort of like a mixture of all three at once and i was really satisfied with the results and people really enjoy it so one of the reasons i asked that uh i've designed a couple of monsters for dnd just homebrew stuff and after like 10th level my eyes cross how the <laughs> hell did you manage to like 
figure this out for 30 level the, oh. the world turtle like how how okay so <laughs> there is a really great blog called blog of holding mm-hmm. run by paul hughes we hired him for level up to do a whole bunch of stuff because he is very 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 good with numbers much better with numbers than i am uh he took all of the monsters in the monster manual and he broke them down into their numbered components and then put them in spreadsheets and like remade the monster creation table and he did a much much more accurate job anyone who wants to find it should it's google blog of holding monster manual and you will find it immediately so when all these monsters they've all been play tested and also um they've all been calculated on a double balance using the cr chart in uh the dmg which only goes up to cr 30 uh and then paul's chart which is uh on on again on the blog of holding which goes up to, I think, CR 30 as well, but it's all incremental. So like you can figure out like, oh, so a CR 50 monster would have this you know, damage output, and then you can work that out into your, your CR calculation. Tell me about the world turtle. I saw that, and I was instantly intrigued. I can yes. fight the world turtle? I can kill yes, this? Yes, you can. I am, uh, I've, I've been freelancing in RPGs for seven years now as like a full-time job. I work with a whole bunch of different companies, and one I do a lot of work with is Ian World. Ian uh, World is the premier RPG news website uh, on the internet. It's been around for over 20 years now, um, and I have a weekly column on there called uh, Epic Monsters and Mythological Figures. So people like write in, they're like, oh, well, I want to see this monster. I want to see this character from history, and then I, I work out uh, if I can make it in class build, uh, like as, as like an NPC with class levels, then it's a mythological figure, and if I can't, then it's an epic monster. And so a couple of these, like the Four Horsemen, uh, the World Turtle, Satan, originally appear on Ian World because it's all like OGL. They're cited in the chapter 15 and everything. But um, yeah, somebody wanted the World Turtle. So I went and I looked up all the stuff on the World Turtle, which is a couple, it, it appears in a couple different places. Uh, and I built a CR30 version, which is, so I mean, it is a monster, but it's, it's, it's a lot like the one with nature thing where you're basically fighting the terrain because the World Turtle is so ridiculously massive and part of it is also uh, i'm pretty sure i suggest in the book that you like you it'd be weird for you to just like roll up and fight it like the gm should should include some like story reason like oh maybe everybody became gigantified by the gods to fight the world turtle or maybe it's a baby world turtle and just like hatched out the egg so it's it's only the size of a couple of islands but yeah yeah mostly that one's about fighting the terrain and just trying to get through its incredibly tough defenses be a slow long it's a slow long fight with the world turtle if you're even fighting one which you probably shouldn't you should probably be saving the world turtle from satan or some other horrible thing because it is the world turtle why would you why would you kill the world turtle shouldn't it be busy fighting pennywise i i did not see it so i don't know you know well the to me see i think world turtle i think disc world no 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 i think maturin stephen king Mm. you've never read it no, I've never read it. No, no. Yeah, you want That's... to jump in on this, Mr. Literary? I don't. I've never read it. So Maturin, <laughs> Maturin man, your references Stephen... are hitting every fucking note tonight, man. No, no. <laughs> Maturin in Stephen King is the book. It never made it in the movie or the miniseries. It's Stephen King's World Turtle, which is basically the the ying to Pennywise's yang. And that's the, the overriding force that got... I don't know why I'm getting in on this now, but that's like the overwhelming source of uh light that helps the children and then into their adulthood and it completely acts from all the movies huh. uh so i think world turtle the first thing i popped up was oh shit he's a stephen king fan <laughs> apparently not so no, you have homework sorry, 
Discworld. Michael, you have homework. Yeah, Discworld is the only one I know about, and I, I always get the. I'm surprised they got it right this, the first time because I'm, I'm usually like Rim World, Ring World, and I go around a couple different rounded objects before I hit disc. But um, yeah, it's also. I mean, it also appears in Native American mythology, mm-hmm. and I think also in. And I apologize if I get this wrong. Uh, it's funny, but I think it also appears in Hindu mythology somewhere, or or Indian mythology, like a Indian continent mythology as well. Uh, and like I said, a couple different places. But yeah, I, I never knew that stuff about it being the opposite of Pennywise. That's crazy. It's wild. That's that sounds like the best writing Stephen King has ever done. So now I feel like I should read it. I just thought it was Tim Curry being weird. I mean, it it was that too. Thank you for that deep it lore. <laughs> this has been Stephen King minute. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I I know about something. This isn't it. Oh, anyway, um, this episode is brought to you by Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to talk about one of your older projects, if you don't mind, Mike. Miss of Akuma. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. It's a a steampunk. Yeah. So Miss of Akuma is probably the thing I've written the most for. It is a Eastern fantasy noir steampunk campaign setting. Mm -hmm. Um, So like it is Eastern fantasy and noir is like everybody's victories are Pyrrhic. Like nobody should be like, oh, I won and saved the kingdom. And then I went on and retired. Like that's not what happens to heroes. And then steampunk, because um, there are steampunk elements, but the like world feeling about steampunk is very witchcrafty uh, for various reasons. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort of like shunned, but accepted as a necessity for survival against the mists of Akuma, which uh, roll into Soberin, the continent of Soberin is where everyone lives, yep. and transform people into these Adeto zombies, which are like fast zombies that can jump really high and regenerate and are, are just horrifying. Um, so it's about Soberin, which was uh, 150, 160 years ago in its timeline, uh, invaded by foreigners with like superior technology that subjugated everybody. And uh, drafted them into this war across the Great Divide. Uh, it's called the War of Kaya. The Great Divide is this like big energy wall that shuts off all magic that goes through it. So um, only technology is able to bypass it. And yeah, so uh, 50 years, 60 years ago in the world history, communication with uh, the the main continents across the Great Divide drops. And then about 10 years ago in the world history, uh, the Emperor leads a rebellion, casts out the foreigners, or at least defeats all the foreigners restores order they get like 10 years of prosperity then the mists roll in and it's just like horror time for everybody it's awesome i love miss Fukuma so much i mean um, it is it is awesome one of the reasons i wanted to ask you about it is because i know you borrowed a lot from that when you did your mortal combat stuff on your blog and you created those characters now in addition to it being our local it expert richard is also our local fighting game and mortal combat expert oh shit did you see the street fighter pdf I was flipping through that. I saw your killer instinct. So sad about the Street Fighter PDF. So I made a PDF for the Street Fighter series, and I found a bunch of like transparent background Street Fighter GIFs. And I thought when I exported the PDF that the GIFs would still function inside. No, doesn't. So it's like the saddest thing for me to look at because like I'm just thinking like, oh, I have like three GIFs of Dalzim doing his moves on this page, but it only shows up when I'm working on it down the InDesign. Ah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. One of the things we did in Mississippi was we set up a whole bunch of uh, support for martial arts stuff. And I illustrate on my blog uh, through various different series, Mortal Kombat, Killer Instinct, uh, Street Fighter, how you can make these characters and, and you know, how you can play around with the, the martial arts stances system and the class archetypes in Mississippi. So did you see so you dug it? You into it? Yeah. No, I uh, Nate had sent me the, the link to the Mortal Kombat stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is neat. And then I'm clicking through I'm like this guy knows his stuff. 
Um, I appreciated that you had both Kwai Liang and Bihan on your Mortal Kombat uh, 2. Confused why you added Goro in Mortal Kombat 2? Uh, I did Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. I did everything but 3. I, I stopped it. I stopped after two because I didn't want to go on forever. That's for the best. Yeah. Striker. <laughs> you need striker stats. Yeah. Like, come on. I remember getting Mortal Kombat 3 for my birthday and I got one of the SNES copies before they recalled them and changed stuff. So somewhere in my parents' house. What do they, a... what do they change on the NES version? Bestiality. No. Animality. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now it's animality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not, not so first time around. <laughs> No. Okay, I'm not. I'm not as hip to this. I oh yeah, 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 yeah. So they actually called it bestiality before they changed I'm, it. And... I mean, unless it's a Mandela effect thing and a fever dream, I'm, which is possible. It's not one to call my guest a liar. No, no, it's, it's fair. You're I a remember, dirty liar with a whore I mouth. My mom got very upset and like shut off the SNES and took it away from us. And it wasn't because she hadn't seen people play Mortal Kombat before. Like she definitely seen that shit and fatalities and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. guys ripping each other's heads off. Okay. Uh, turning but like into the skeletons, game. lighting them on fire. But bestiality, bestiality that's where she draws she real like, hard limit. No. I think she just didn't want me running around saying stuff like that at school. <laughs> you know? Because like stuff like, yeah, I had gotten in trouble a couple times at school. Mrs. Wiley, well, your son keeps running around striving bestiality. You need to pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, what, was, what was some of the other winners from that? Uh, one time they found me with like a sheaf. I had printed out 584 ways to kill Barney. And they were very upset when they found me with this, this, this notebook of like how to kill Barney. Uh, which was, some of them were really creative. It was like stuff, stuff Barney in a locker and use poisonous insects. Why did we hate, because I assume we're all the same age here. Why did no. we hate Barney as a kid? I can remember like when the first Doom wads came out and they were like the kill Barney looking back as an adult now with my own children barney's not that bad why do we hate barney he's having to hear the music because my little brother was watching barney all the time uh, and this is also why i have like a vault of uh fucked up thomas the tank engine memes anytime i find a new one i go to my brother's face with him. hey william check it out here's thomas the spider tank and yeah it's like i had to endure so much of it because my little brother and like they're always his youngest child so my parents always gave him whatever he wanted so yeah he got subjected to a lot of barney a lot of thomas tank and timmy the fucking tooth fucking timmy the tooth Timmy the tooth i hate thomas tank engine right and i'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant about it why the fuck is the only value appreciated on the isle of sodor being useful what are we teaching kids like i'm an artist well fuck off that's not useful i can't eat that i grow flowers i can't eat those fuck off useful or death and like Henry got a new paint job one day, right? He didn't want to go out in the rain. And so they bricked him off inside of a fucking tunnel. Right, like those some cast of Amontillado. Yeah, children's the television. F- and it's like, well, let me listen to you, five-year-old Billy. Like, God damn. What? Fat controller's an asshole, man. He's grim as fuck. And we're yeah, like, yeah, set the kid in front of TVs. It's educational. Like, I get why George Carlin liked it now, because it was fucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot George was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, George Carlin, and you had Alec Baldwin in the movie playing the same mm-hmm. character. When you're developing a Mortal Kombat role playing game, what are things like? Well, so I'm, I'm making characters from Mortal Kombat for Five E. If I was developing a Mortal Kombat role playing game, it would look very different than Five E does. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. If you were to do that, if NetherRealm came to you and said, "Let's create from the ground up," or or, or Street Fighter, either or, but let's stick with Mortal Kombat, but not Killer Instinct. 
fuck killer instinct (laughs) (laughs) what would be the things like for me the things i would want to encapsulate the secrets just the overall you know tone the rules what were things you you would incorporate into a mortal Kombat universe first thing i'm thinking of is like how would combat work i i would try to do a diceless thing like maybe use playing cards but probably not probably just do like blind sequencing that you compare against whoever it is you're fighting because all, all the Mortal Kombat fights are going to be one-on-one, right? So like that simplifies a lot of stuff. Right. And if you have patterns worked out and like, okay, well, I know I'm going to do this and then that and that, you can set up a chart of a more complicated version of rock, paper, scissors. Well, everything, especially in, in fighting games and not as much in Mortal Kombat compared to Street Fighter because it's a very simplified system, like a tier list you're talking yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I chose to do B, and we know B is advantageous against C, and his first move was C, so I won the first point in this round, and then just compare up the up and down the line and have effects off of that. And then, um, yeah, so it'd be kind of like a guessing game, and depending on what you walked into the guessing game, being able to guess like whatever was in your move set, uh, you would be either at a disadvantage or at advantage, mm. and so on. Mm. There's certain um, things like you know in the tournament scene and in the competitive scene on uh, like fight Cade and ggpo you know we're big into you know hitboxes frame you know frame counters stuff like that would that impact the way you'd no i don't no i mean so i mean there, there are value to hitboxes and when i made a i have a warmer 40k uh d 5e hack because i'm a big warmer 40k junkie too i don't have the money for the armies but i love the book so hit locations are great for that because like it's a big thing for warmer 40k and it's a tradition but if you're going to do a mortal Kombat rpg and it's going to be a lot of like one-on-one fights. Then you need the fights to be quick and choppy and fast because for a lot of that time, however many other people around the table, aside from the GM, the player who's in the fight, are just going to be sitting out, hanging around. And it's going to be boring for them. And that's, that's no good. So I would want to avoid, I would, I would want to try to cut down on individual player time and GM time as much as possible so that rounds are ideally under 30 seconds ago. Yeah, no, I think I, because I, I, did, I did some thinking on it at one point. I was like, how would I make first, or like a fifth edition dual system and eventually I came to the conclusion, like, why would you even bother like, the, with the dice? Just get rid of the dice, because otherwise it's, it's going to bore the shit out of everybody. Yeah, I would do that. And then, like, otherwise, world building, I don't know. So I know there's world building with Netherworld, but, like, it's so not consistent or cohesive. I would keep the wind tunnels that they travel with the stupid spheres on. I would totally keep those. Oh, what, from Armageddon? Yes, I would keep those. <sighs> not Armageddon, uh... <laughs> The third annihilation, one. annihilation. Yeah, yeah. The movie with yeah. No, that's awful. <laughs> nah. yeah. Don't hold back, but you tell us how you really feel. The, la- the, 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 the best thing they've done so far was the Scorpion anime that came out. Yeah, that was cool. That was fine. And the, the trailer for the new movie looks like that. I don't watch trailers, but it does. The posters look good. The the trailer's pretty good. I'm just gonna. I believe you. I went to but... school for film studies, and what film studies prepares you for is to ruin all movies when you watch the trailer. So I just don't watch them anymore. Yeah, I learned that the hard way from Suicide Squad. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, what was the one I was like, uh, it came out when I was in college. It's the one about the fucking the trees. M. Night Shyamalan, what a twist. No, like, wow, this looks like a really good movie. And I was With like, Mark, yeah. the, the trees happening. did it. And she's like, my girlfriend's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, the trees did it. Like, I don't know if you were looking and paying attention to what was on the screen, but none of them were trees. It was fucking the trees killing everybody. And yeah, that was the one and, yeah there's a scene where it literally goes, hi there, Mr. Tree. I'm really sorry. Please don't kill us, all right? <laughs> like that happens in the movie. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a step up from from '90s rapping. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it? 
So weirdly enough, our conversation about fucked up childhood memes segues me into my next question. What's with the Hundred Acre Woods bestiary, man? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I actually got to play with that. That was really fun. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I forget how I started. Oh, no, I found... So there's this amazing artist named Dan Lucivi who does uh, weird reinterpretations of nostalgic items. The one you might know is The Streets, which is a Sesame Street uh, modern take where like Cookie Monster owns a strip club and like Ernie's all like drugged out on heroin and, uh, and Bert's like a, a like a cop. And um, yeah, it's all very like gritty, gritty modern. And so I ran into that and I was like, this is amazing. And I made a whole hack of like how to play crazy modern dirty hairy muppets uh which i've also gotten to do a, a couple of times at this point it's, it's extremely fun but yes yeah, so that's what got me on that road and then i ran i saw another i think i'm pretty sure it was dan the cv where eeyore's guts are just like spilling out and i yeah. was like hey yeah. i got an idea so um <laughs> yeah after after i get started on something i i uh strongly taught in my youth uh, to finish a thing that you start so um yeah i started with winnie and and, t- and tigger and then i had, i had to do the whole hundred acre one uh, that's one of my one of, one of the yeah that's, that's one of the good ones on my site i can't remember if hella off is on my website or just on the patreon but that was another one i really liked because uh, i rewrote the the scene from game of thrones where uh the hound is like i'm gonna have to eat every fucking chicken in here uh but it's alf <laughs> it's a hell elf talking about cats in and out <laughs> right like is that oh perfect i got blues clues warlock patron which is also awesome What's the other ones? I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of a lot of a lot of fucked up uh, childhood stuff uh, because it amuses me deeply. Uh, Eureka's Castle. If anyone is uh, going yes. ready for that deep cut, yeah, there's a Eureka's Castle one on there too. I saw that. I was flipping through it. I'm like Magellan. Oh no! What did he yeah, do to my boy? Bad things happen to Magellan. <laughs> <laughs> he got off relatively easy. I think the the, the Moat Twins got it pretty bad, and then uh, the Alchemist guy he got filleted open and messed up real bad. <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean you borrow a lot from popular media and you blog you, you design for a, a fucking ton of games and for a long time how did all that experience help you create back to we get back to legendary adventures sure uh well i mean hypercore taught me what not to do with 5e and like epic level play and then i mean i wrote so miss fukuma has a, when i say miss fukuma has a lot of supporting material i truly do mean a lot of supporting material like there's two so four 300 page yeah 300 page hardcover adventures one mega adventure one adventure pass and then like there's a setting book and then there's all these other extra adventures and and supplements and stuff so i got a lot of my uh like i've, I've gotten really good at pulling parties right up to the brink of, of like you're, you're you're about to die maximizing the dramatic tension at the table uh with the numbers and then the project i did before legendary adventures and the love and stuff was called vast caveat which is like a Conan type sword and sandal stuff. And it got me really hankering for like epic level stuff and also really helped me get a good understanding and feel for where the boundaries of epic is. Because really epic level play starts at about 17th level, to be perfectly honest with how everything plays out. Yeah, it let me explore that like little three level window at the top of tier four. And uh, Varanthia Codex and level up... So there's a difference between making and designing RPG content and managing a project for RPG stuff. Mm. And Branthia, I, I learned just how much time that takes. And Level Up uh, reminds me 
every day how much time that takes so um yeah legendary adventures is pretty much a mic a mic show where i just you know went off and did my own thing and i had, I had like play testers and some of which are great designers like xana broadway who does a whole bunch of stuff she edited burn bright for roll 20 but um yeah yeah they were they were helping me play test uh, along with a couple other decent designers so, so there was like help and oversight but yeah it was a strong desire to just be able to work and not have to be answering a ton of emails and clarifying a bunch of stuff for other people and working around other stuff. It was just like me going to town on a strong concept and seeing it through kind of like a, kind of like a really long rewarding hike. The book is beautiful. The content is fucking like top notch shit. I'm blown away reading it before we let you go for the night. Is there anything that you really want our listeners to know that we haven't talked about yet? There's a mailing list at epic5e.com if you want to be notified whenever the Kickstarter launches on the 23rd. Levelup5e.com is the new thing. It'll be coming up in, in uh, we're, we're looking at autumn. Even if you're not trying to have like a more like in-depth, broad expansion of the rule set of 5e, the Beastiary book is going to be amazing for Level Up. Uh, we're suspecting that we're actually going to have more people buying the Beastiary book than the core rule book. Although I hope that, that we get three numbers on both. If you don't have a dog, get a dog. No, I take that back. If you don't have a dog and you think that you can responsibly take care of a dog, get a dog. Mm, if you don't think dog. you're that person, don't get a dog. Because then someone like me is just going to have to get your dog later. So like, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. Check out my website, megmodel.com. Like we were saying, it has all that fun, fucked up stuff on it. Yeah. There's, there's a, oh, Ian Sider. I'm the editor for Ian Sider. Ian Sider is this Patreon uh, that has been running for five or six years. It's a D&D 5e Patreon. We do five articles a week. Uh, you pay like $3 and you get access to all the articles, the back catalog and the new ones that come out every month. And it's the best deal for D&D in town and filled with awesome stuff. We got articles by James Intricaso, James Heck, Ari Marmel, a whole, a whole ton of people that have gone on to do great and wonderful things. Yeah, so that's patreon.com slash E-N-S-I-D-E-R. Yeah, if you've never checked out E-N-S-I-D-E-R, go check it out. There's some free articles and you'll be hard-pressed not to at least become a member for a while. Peruse the archive of 380-plus articles at this point. You will find stuff that you like just by the law of averages. Yeah, The Insider, level up, epic5e.com, MikeMyler.com. And I'm on Twitter, too, at MikeMyler2, if, uh, you're, if you're a tweeting person. I'm terrible at Twitter, but I try, and nobody likes that, so... <laughs> So uh, are you guys Venture Brothers fans? I assume you are because uh, yeah. why would you not be? So when Venture Brothers went down and then they, they canceled it and stuff, which hopefully mm-hmm. will not be the case. Like there's, there's talk that HBO might revive it and they have the licensing break. John Kennedy, uh, who is a big indie game designer, messaged me and was like, hey man, I know you love Venture Brothers as much as I do. We should do something about it. So we made an RPG called Staged Heroism uh, and we're still fine tuning it. Uh, like I finished writing all the mechanics and now we're, we're starting to change them and like, testing out the waters on like moving the ranges around and stuff yeah if you like venture brothers stage heroism will be right up your alley and should be along sometime this summer i have the cover artwork i got a whole bunch of words written but um we're like i said fine-tuning it's awesome thanks man we want to get you back on the show eventually because i know you have a lot of stuff on the pipeline coming up so anytime you want to come back you have an open invitation awesome yeah i'll i'll poke you guys in maybe july that won't work for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very busy in the summer, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll come back and talk about Level Up because there is an enormous amount to talk about. Like uh, the the total word count, I think right now is, is starting to push up against like 400,000. It's, it's, it's oh, so shit. huge. 
yeah oh no it's, it's a whole it's a whole <laughs> thing man yeah um like just the chapter on exploration is pushing novel size because like 5e has nothing for exploration it's like hey yeah. you're getting from one place to the other here's your travel pace have fun and yeah. that, that's it now we have like a whole chapter filled with over no i think 79 exploration challenges and yeah i'm in the middle of editing that one right now actually but yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be combat maneuvers. We changed the way character creation works. So now you pick a background. That's where you get your ability scores from. Uh, then you also pick a heritage, and that would be like your biological uh, makeup. And then a culture, and then a destiny. And destiny ties heavily, because like a lot of people ignore inspiration, uh, yeah. which annoys us. So we made inspiration more useful, and it plays into like a larger character progression for like your character achieving the thing that is like their big thing in life, like, you know, hmm. getting revenge or claiming back their birthright or you know whatever there's a bunch of different destiny yeah no like we could talk level up for hours uh, and maybe we should but not today fair enough thank you so much again for coming on i appreciate it man no thanks for having me this is uh this is fun i spent so much time just like being an insane keyboard hermit uh, it's good to talk to people and talk about stuff rather than just in the minds Thanks again to Mike Myler for coming on our show. You can find all of the links to everything we've talked about today, especially his Kickstarter for Legendary Adventures Epic Play for 5th Edition, which launches March 23rd, 2021, in the show notes below. Or above? I I have no frame of reference for how your orientation is for this. Um, But they're there, so please look for them and go support Mike. He's amazing, his game is amazing, and you know what, listener? You're amazing. As always, if you have questions or concerns, you can reach us at Pot of Blunders on Twitter or at potofblunders at gmail.com. For the Pot of Blunders, I've been Nate Magnuski, and may all your Ds be 12s. There's no bloopers, so I'm gonna sing a song instead. Sorry about there being no bloopers, but we're professionals now, so we don't fuck up. Yeah!